0: Opinions expressed on ACB media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first event that the ACB students are putting on our training center panel. This is a big passion of ours, residential training. So we got three people on here to present about their training centers. Um, the first one, he isn't here yet, but he'll be representing the NFB. His name Bobby Ashaw. So hopefully he gets here. Next, we have Chris Woodfield from the Helen Keller Center. And uh, lastly, we have from the Carroll Center, we have Dina Rosenbaum.
2: Thank you um, for having me today. My name is Dina Rosenbaum. I'm the chief program officer at the Carroll Center for the Blind. Um, I'm here to talk about our residential programs and services at the Carroll Center. So we are located just outside of Boston in Newton, Massachusetts. We have been a residential rehab facility for people who are new to vision loss or have had a significant loss of vision for about 85 years. We were the first blind rehabilitation center in the country. Um, So we offer a variety of services or programs for all ages and all stages of vision loss. We have an independent living program for people who are new to vision loss or need to develop more independent living skills. That's a three-month program um, at our campus. We do focus on a smaller census. Our average census is about 15 with about 10 staff. So your classes tend to be smaller. Um, All our staff are certified. professionals in the field of blindness, so certified mobility instructors, certified rehabilitation teachers, low vision specialists, et cetera. Um, and our campus includes a dormitory on campus, and we support individuals with additional needs, additional disabilities, and we have a nurse on campus to provide health, adaptive health education and training. We also have a work experience program for people who want to get developed skills after vision loss. In the work environment. So, we place people in internships for about two months um, and support them with job coaches or just um, training and support. um, Sometimes, in an area that you might be looking for a career in, sometimes it's just um, any type of job just to get yourself back out there, or for somebody who has no experience, sort of for that first time job experience for usually for a young adult or a teenager. We have computer training programs at the Carroll Center for beginner to advanced skills. And we just last year launched a program called Screen Reader User Testing Program um, to provide people with skills to be screen user, user testers in the field accessibility. We've had um, about nine, 10 or 11 people graduate that program. Um, almost all of them are working in the field um, for either a nonprofit or a for-profit com- um, corporation. Um, either accessibility company or within a company that has an accessibility department um, doing accessibility work. The work is mostly remote that people are doing. So we've had people trained from all over the country and our next class will be in the fall. We offer the class twice a year. yeah, I or, think that's yeah. it for residential. We have some other services we do out in the community, recreation and community mobility um, for people who are local to the Carroll Center.
1: But yeah, just going back to why we even had this panel in the first place, we just think uh, blindness training is very important because it, it gives people back what they lost when they lost their sight, uh, which is independence back, uh, it, it, it gives them a lot of confidence. So this is why we kind of had this this panel and we wanted to give different perspectives on different kind of training centers. That's why we had an NFB center, the Helen Keller Center for New York for the deaf blind or hard of hearing, and then the Carroll Center in Boston um, to get the different perspectives Um, so we can leave it up to the consumer to decide where they want to go, not just based on their affiliation on a consumer group or a region area. Um, So we'll get started with our questions. I do want to give a warning, though. Our second question does touch on sexual harassment um, at training centers. So this would be our second question. So I just want to give that trigger warning for the second question. But we'll get started with our first one, a lighter question. So the question is, um, what is the process for someone to get into your center? Like their justification letter? um, Who do they have to talk to? Where can they get more information? to a tenure center. So Dina, we'll start off with you since um, you're available right now.
2: Um, Sure, so we um, we have a director of admissions. Her name is Kathy Felt. So she handles all our inquiries for our programs and also helps people navigate the application process. So any individuals can come to us if they're seeking information about our services and programs and work with her on identifying the right program. We then would work with the individual's counselor in their home state to identify if they're eligible for the service um, and funding is available for them to attend and their counselor is gonna support them in the program. Um, So um, we really just work with the individual and their home state, um, usually VR counselor or worker um, to um, help support the funding um, and for them to come to the program.
1: Oh, wow, that's that's great. Um, all right, thanks for answering that. Uh, Christopher, is there any update with him? Can you talk now?
3: It's still
4: seeing audio
2: disconnected
4: for Chris. Is there a
2: way for you to individually contact him? Maybe he needs to re-log in.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, while they're taking care of that, I'll give my perspective on how I went to training. Um, so I had to do a justification letter it had to go to the counselor, then to their supervisor. But before that, they call the consumer a choice. But I actually had to visit three different training centers here in California before I can decide to go out of state, which I wanted to go f- from the beginning. So I had to go to three different centers and say why I didn't want to go there, um, even though I already knew why. So that was kind of my process. Um, and I think it might have took like three to four months for me to get approved to go out of state. So that's kind of my process. So I would encourage people to talk to other students or other people that want to go to training and kind of get what they've written uh, to put it in their justification letter. Sometimes they don't make you write one, but most of the time they do. They they need you to justify because these programs cost a lot of money. Um, I'm not sure. How much does your program cost, Dina? Like every month? Um,
2: It's about 8,000 and that includes room and board um, as well. So that includes all your food and your housing. Um, so um, yeah, we don't, I, I'm not, we don't get involved in justification letters. Um, all we identify is um, if an agent, if a counselor comes back to you and says, oh, well, the Carroll Center is not a vendor, then we can become a vendor or update our vendor status because sometimes it expires if we don't have indiv- individuals from that state for a while, it usually expires every five years or we have to update the information. And then um, we can provide the individual with information, probably what you did, Erin, is um, what does our program offer that you are looking for that some of the other programs don't offer? So example, sometimes we have people who have health needs and need access to a nurse on staff, or some people... Can't manage to be living in an apartment if that's what the in-state um, setup is—that you have to live in an apartment um, and do all your meals. Some people don't have the ability to do that initially, um, so um, or that they need um, smaller classes because they have a learning disability or or whatever it is. So we're we're happy to kind of help explore what where our setup and what we're offering fits better for them.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Okay. That's. That sounds, that sounds great. Um, And I know the LCB, the Louisiana Center for the Blind, which is affiliated with the NFB and where one of our panelists went and where I also went, it's like $3,000 a month. And they give you like a stipend, Um, but that's just my experience. Um, So we'll move on to the second question. So the question, uh, once again, trigger warning, because it does mention or relate to sexual harassment at training centers. So the question is, so what is your training center doing to address the problem that that came to for, to the forefront um, a while ago about sexual harassment, specifically at training centers? Is there already a code of conduct? Did it get updated? Um, what's the update on that? How are you ensuring your, your students are safe at the center before they even go there? So um, we
2: um, so we do. We have a client handbook um, that outlines the rules and regulations for participating in a program and living on campus. We do not allow um, individuals to go into other individuals' rooms. Most of our dorm rooms are single rooms, so we're like our dorm setup is like a if they think of a big house with 16 bedrooms and they're all single bedrooms. Um, so we don't allow people to go in other people's rooms. Um, we have a stringent um, harassment. Policy in addition to a sexual harassment policy. Um, We're very strict about alcohol and drugs on campus. We do not allow marijuana because it's not federally approved um, and we get federal funds. Um, And we do have a code of conduct with these items outlined that each client um, is reviewed with each person on the first day at their program. And we do require clients to sign. Um, the code of conduct, and if anybody um, uh, demonstrates misconduct um, w- of what the co- of the code that is outlined, they are dismissed from the program.
1: Right, that's that's great. And I know at LCB, the Liliana Center for the Blind, they partnered with the rain and now with uh, mobility instructors. Well, in all classes, they have consent forms, but specifically for ONM, so they know what not to do. with it. What they can do, how far they can push you, if they can touch you, to kind of move you in the right direction. So I know they have that going on to address the problem of sexual harassment and the following Dakota conduct. Um, so, yeah, they definitely don't want to get in trouble because they get feder- federally funded. Um And then kind of addressing, you had said um, the students are able to go to each other's apartments. And depending on which center related to the NFB, they can drink or can't drink I not that. In Louisiana, you you cannot drink at the inside of the apartments. Right.
2: and all our staff are required to go through sexual harassment training. We also are mandated reporters, so all our staff have to are trained um, are trained in mandated reporting um, process for the state of Massachusetts. Um, and we work very closely with the counselors. Your comment about mobility instructors or other staff are trained in to always ask per- people permission before they put their hand on their arm or when they start their first lesson, they talk about what the client is comfortable with, et cetera. Um, So that is all reviewed.
1: All right. So the third question, and I'll answer it just to switch it up uh, first, is basically what extracurricular activities do students do um, when they're at the center? So one thing that we did do when I was there, we went whitewater rafting. We went to, it was Tennessee. So we went to the... Whitewater rafting and they, they had the Olympics there in like the 90s. So that was pretty cool. Um it was a lot of fun. Like one time we were going backwards when we were going down. Um uh, so that was really fun. And we were doing it wearing sleep shades and everything. So block out any remaining vision you had. Um we also went to Mardi gras since it's in Louisiana. Uh, we went up to New Orleans for I think it was three or four days. So that was that was pretty fun that that we did that. I know they go to the national convention, a state convention. Um, So that's some of the activities they do. But what do they do there at the Carroll Center, Dina?
2: So, of course, it depends on the time of year because we're in the Northeast. Um, So as an example, right now, we have um, blind sailing that we offer that started at the beginning of June, uh, which is offered on Saturday, and anybody can participate in the sail blind program. Uh, We we coordinate that with a local um, community boating program. We... um, for our summer programs, we have a lot more activities right now. We have a golfing program that will launch um, in a couple of weeks, um, and the young adults do participate in a lot of recreation, um, field trips um, to museums, beaches, etc. For the adult, um, it again depends on the time of year. We do bring some things to campus like yoga and arts and crafts, and just we're we're located, you know not too far from Boston, but we're in a suburban neighborhood where there's lots of little shopping areas and walking areas. So we have volunteers who come by and and, um, participate with people in going to these community areas. Um, And then we encourage the clients to participate in um, other activities that might be happening in Boston. Like there might be a um, tour for people who are visually impaired at the MFA or an audio described theater um, production that's in the Boston area. Um, Or there is um, an adaptive running program that's run in Boston. There's adaptive rock climbing. There's, um, I think, um, there's rowing or canoeing, again, that would be limited to the the nice weather. Um, So we share a lot of information with the clients. We really encourage the clients also to themselves to schedule activities and look what's available um, that they might want to attend and foster that and help them attend these events. Uh, We have a very active ACB um, group in Massachusetts that provides activities that we share with our clientele. We have an NFB group um, as well in Massachusetts. We have the Perkins School for the Blind. We have a couple other smaller blindness agencies. So we all share information about events and activities um and things like job fairs um speakers so um there's you know anybody can participate in a variety of things whether you like theater or you like um sports we have a beat base, two beat baseball um teams we have a young adult one forming now um so we encourage people to participate
1: great yeah yeah that's what i like about these centers uh there you go they go out to places and they encourage their students to go out to places. Cause a lot of times people that nearly go blind or have been blind for a long time. They're um, the people that kind of help them out where they live in their home. Um, don't really encourage them to go out cause they're too afraid they might get hurt or something. So when they're at training uh, forever, for however long they are at training, um, it's new to them. You know, they're fun, They're having fun again. They're independent again. They can go out with friends. So it's, it's really great for them, and, and that's good to hear about the Carroll Center and what they do.
4: Um, yeah. Penny's and hand we, has been up
2: for a while, sorry. Okay, can I just add one more thing? So included on campus in the Carroll Center rehabilitation programs is we do um, have classes in fencing. We have a fencing coach that comes twice a week, so clients develop um, skills in fencing that are really linked to orientation mobility and sensing um, yourself and moving in space and and learning to walk a straight line, which are things that you wanna carry over into mobility. But we also have a sensory arts program. So we're exploring exposing people to manual arts and sensory arts. Um, We have a kiln, so they do pottery, they do weaving, they do woodshop activities. So again, what you said, Erin, just giving people exposure to things that they could do or they could go
5: back to doing if they stopped doing them as well. Okay, Penny has her hand up. Thank you for allowing me to ask a question. Um, My question, I'm very interested in consumer choice. It's a major principle within ACB that people who go to rehab programs have a right to choose how they learn and what they learn. And um, so I'm very interested to know from uh, all of the panelists, um, if there's a guide dog user who comes to your program, is that person allowed to use their guide dog while there? Um, If a person would not want to learn to do wood shop uh, or to grill or to do anything else that is in the curriculum. Would that person have a choice to refuse to do that? And uh, thank you very much.
1: I, c- I can go first. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be representing the NFB uh, since our panelist is not here and I attended one. So um, I think your, your first question was, can you repeat the, the first part of the consumer choice part? I got the second part of it. If a
5: person is a guide dog user, can that? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The guide dog use okay. is guide dog at the. Yeah, center. so
1: at the Louisiana Center and at the other centers, no, you 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 have to use a, a straight white cane. Your 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 guide dog has to stay at the center, either back back at your apartment or somewhere at the center. You're not allowed to to use your guide dog, um, because you're there to learn how to use a cane, and they can get away with that because they're a private. A private um, a center, so they can they can do what they want and they can run it however they want. Is that want.
5: because they're not associated with uh, RSA?
1: Um, I think it, it mainly just because they're private. There, it's like a private business. They can do whatever they want. If you don't like it, well, then just don't come. Um, it's it's as simple as that. And then to your to your question about like wood shop or grilling, yeah, you have to follow the curriculum because I know for LCB, Louisiana Center for the Blind every day for two hours you have what shop and there's no getting out of it i mean i hated what shop but i i still had to do it it was just part of their curriculum i mean i wish i wish i didn't have to do it because i hated it and to be honest if we had to do a survey from all the people that graduated from the center and if they're not involved with the NFB, because I would be biased i would say like 95 percent of them would say no this class did not help me um, it's not a confident builder because the, the reason they have that class, the Woodshop class, is because they say it's a confident builder, because you're handling tools that you wouldn't think you'd be able to to handle as a blind person. So that's why they have that class. So yeah, um, that's my honest answer. If we had to take a survey with non-NFB members that graduated from these centers, it'd be like 95% would say that class did not help me gain my confidence. It was just a waste of two hours each day. Um, but Dana, Thank you so much
5: questions. for uh, being so honest. I really think students, uh, the students, ACB students, should be aware of the lack of consumer choice at NFB centers. And I appreciate it. How about the person from the Carroll Center? Yeah, sure. go ahead, So we do accommodate individuals with
2: guide dogs. Um, they can bring them to the program. We still provide instruction on cane travel or evaluate somebody's cane travel instruction and work on some things that might need improvement. We may also um, access the person's guide dog school. If we have concerns about their use of their dog or their dog's ability to um, provide safe travel. So we often will have um, an instructor from their school. They got their dog from come down and consult with us and the, and the client to work on that. Um, so that just might happen once might happen a couple of times it just depends on what's going on they may they there might be some classes or lessons for which they do leave their dog in their room but it's not usually all day it's just maybe for certain classes or activities Um, so the choice issue um, is to me really about is this person want to do a whole program or what kind of program do they need so we don't take people who just want to come oh I just want to go to the carol center i just want to do mobility because you're not going to come and just do mobility for an hour a day or an hour every sure. or two hours every other day so that's not appropriate um, we evaluate people the first two weeks you're with the Carroll center is your evaluation to see where your skills at and what you need um, if you have neuropathy and you can't learn to read braille then you're not going to have braille classes um, you know, if you're in personal management and cooking classes, but you're the type of person who just uses a microwave or just orders out all the time, then we're going to we're still going to have classes in, in eating skills and cutting skills and safe pouring, etc. But then we're probably going to tailor it a little bit more to what your lifestyle um, is like. Um, so um, we do make some a little adjustments for that.
0: Um,
2: but but we do.
5: You're going to come because you need most of what we're offering. And how about um, technology? If a person didn't want to learn JAWS, but they wanted to, study to learn NVDA, would that be possible?
2: Oh, yeah. So we provide instruction on JAWS or NVDA. I mean, we do use JAWS for most people. Sure. Um, if you needed training on NVDA, that would be a separate thing. But we also work with people. We have a low vision clinic, so we provide people with classes in low vision if they're able to use low vision and we do provide classes in zoom Text um, or zoom, um, depending on your computer system. Um, oh, but you, we have a low vision clinic, a low vision therapist. So if you have usable low vision, you have classes there once or twice a week. And, and we incorporate in that in training, we do um, use occluders as part of the program. Um, but it's, do happy have to use for some people, you don't have to, but we strongly encourage it for people who are going to um, lose vision over time, um, but it's not something done day one. And if you have a lot of usable vision, um, there's gonna be some training using your vision. It just depends on what category you're in with your vision law.
5: Thank you. Um,
1: uh, and how about
5: I, the NFB person um, or that Louisiana guy? I'm sorry. I don't
1: uh, know. Yeah, this is the, I, I just, uh, yeah I go ahead.
5: Uh, How about the technology question? If you wanted not to learn JAWS, would you be forced to do so? If you were a low vision person, would you have to learn JAWS or could you learn Zoom Text?
1: Yeah, so they teach everybody because you're wearing um, sleep shades. It would be really weird and hard if you use magnification. What are their sleep shades? Uh, But yeah, JAWS is what they prefer just because it's more... Uh, widely accepted in the workplace and stuff um, but i also wanted to go back to just consumer uh, choice i mean it goes both ways like yeah you can make the choice to go anywhere but also the centers you can do run. do that
5: in- if your state sends you to louisiana that's where you have to go
1: yeah i mean it goes well, both well you-
5: that, that's actually
2: not true so yeah
1: the that's federal law
2: requires the federal law requires consumer choice um, so, the choice is what program meets your needs. Um, if your needs can be met by the in state program that you live in, then they will only pay the in state, or they might only pay the equivalent of what the in state tuition is. So, we do have some states that say this is what we pay.
5: And I, mean, a I live center, in that state, I live in Maryland. Yeah. The yeah. only way you can yeah. get rehab in Maryland is to go to the rehab center in Maryland, well, or you and not, I should talk one of the NFB centers.
2: Well, you so, and I should talk because I have several clients from Maryland coming to the Carroll Center.
5: I want to talk to you because I'm on the rehab okay. council in Maryland. And, so um, okay. and also
1: sometimes it falls on you too. Like if you're not deaf blind, why would you go to the Carroll Center where it's for the deaf blind? Like you That's have to know true. what to get. Getting yourself yeah. into like, I mean, it's not sure. like they hide what they do at these centers. Like, what shop is is known that you're going to do it at LCB, uh, right? But not and I, the Carroll
2: Center, wouldn't take somebody who is totally deaf and totally blind. We don't. Our oh, staff God. are not equipped to support somebody like that. But we have had people who have, you know, have hearing impairments, um, but can participate in a program um, with other hearing individuals.
4: Okay, Janine, you should be able to talk now. You may unmute. Thanks, Sandra. Hey, um, uh, my question is for Dina. Hi, Dina. <laughs> um, my name is Janine. So at your program, I wanted to know if it, because I'm very, I've done research on NFB centers, uh, so I don't really need an answer from that, but from the Carol Center, I need to know, um, do, is your structure like one hour of this class, one hour of this class, one hour of this class, and then also in succession Was staying there, I heard you say that there's a two-month work-study program, and you have a three-month plan, so if someone there, they have their two-week evaluation, then they have two weeks, and then they just start working for the left over two months or do they do the three months and then work two months? Because that would be a five-month plan, right? So those are my two questions. So is it like a high school or that or junior high school where you have period one, period two, period three, and then um, the work study program that goes in succession with that?
2: So um, it's a little individualized. So if we don't know you, if you've never been to the Carroll Center before, you have to, at the minimum, do the two-week assessment so we can get um, a baseline on what your skills are and what your needs are. And then from the two-week, we make a recommendation for usually an independent living program. If you're somebody who says, hey, I've done independent living programs before. I live on my own. I have these skills, but I'm trying to get back into the workforce. Well, then we might say, okay, we'll do the two week and then we will um, put together a program for you to um, work um, out in the community. And work out in the community is usually um, three days a week. So you still have two days for which you can do lessons and classes. Um, the classes are kind of like a high school schedule. It's, um, classes go from 8.45 to five, um, but some of the classes could be double period, like two hour periods, um, uh-huh. Others are one hour. It just depends. Um, sometimes an instructor, O&M instructors like we're going to do a three hour lesson because we're going to do the route to the job and back. So I need that block of time to do that. If you're in the work program and you're probably classes are more focused on mobility and technology Um, and maybe some kind of personal care. I don't, you know, I would think that if you're coming to do the work program, you're not a beginning user of braille or beginning. Again, you'd have to have the independent living skills um, before you just can jump into an employment program. Great, thank you so much.
4: Uh, Thank you, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Sure. Where are you from, Janine? I'm in Florida.
6: Okay, great. Jeanette, you should be able to talk now. A Couple of things. Um, I am thrilled to hear about the way the dorm situation is now at the Carroll Center. And I think it's really important um, that that individual room, I think, when you're training uh, could be huge in certain circumstances. So I have two questions for you. What do the dorm rooms look like, i.e., Uh, Is there a station where if you had a client who brought in a laptop to use in the computer program, they could use it at night? Uh, Is it just, you know, basic? um, uh, um, Are are there the bathrooms set up outside the rooms, inside the rooms? Because I know it's a new dorm from the last time I viewed the site. And then I have another question for you. Sure.
2: So... Hi Jeanette. Um Jeanette is a previous Carol Center client who's done many programs, so you can ask her some questions in the and,
6: future. And Dean has um, known me for years. A
2: long time. Yeah. So our um all the we do have two double rooms that mostly are used when we have our youth program, but all the bedrooms have a um bed with a bureau or drawers, and um most of them have desks and night tables. So you have ample, plenty of room to um, be able to use a laptop and work in your room in the evening or after hours, um, as well. So, um, and we actually even do some class instruction in the rooms. If you're in the independent living program, we might do like bed making in your room or organization and vacuuming and things like that. Um, and even do meal prep in the dorm kitchen with you as well. So you want to, if you want to make things in the dorm in the evening and weekends, you can do that.
6: And, and the um, bathrooms are outside of the rooms, correct? So it
2: is shared bathrooms, but they're single bathrooms. So, you know, only one person in the bathroom at a time, but there's okay.
6: one bathroom for about every
2: four rooms, four or five nice. rooms. So we have um, three full bathrooms nice. for 16 rooms and one um, half bath. Um, and then the, we also have an exercise room and laundry facilities and, and a computer lab in the dorm um, as well.
6: That is, I I went there when this was not all available and they've done a huge, huge improvement in terms of getting that stuff and making rehab so much better. Now, here's my different question. I am not somebody at my age who would want to necessarily do an entire screen reader testing program. But if there were a portion on working with a company on specifically testing an app, I would be interested. Is that something that could potentially be modified if I were interested in the program or would I have to take the whole thing?
2: You really would have to take the whole thing um, because that it's included in the program whether you're testing in... App on a phone, or you're testing a website. Um, the comp- so the companies that we're working with, um, you know, only hire people who have a full range of skills. Certainly, we ought- we do a lot. The Carroll Center does a lot of work with researchers and medical facilities and companies um, that engage us to find consumers to test products or participate in research. So we uh, we do sometimes have. Um, the ability to just engage people who have not gone through our training but have a certain level of skill set to participate in these research studies. Most of them have been mobility research studies um, that we're doing, um, people creating different apps for finding bus routes or travel or, or using Uber. So um, we do reach out um, or send out a, a message um, to our alumni or a group of individuals when we're looking for testers.
6: And how? long is the training program?
2: The user testing program is seven weeks long and it is a remote (coughs) program. Okay.
1: But it's full-time
7: remote. And we do got our
1: Oh, sorry, we do got our NFB panelists on here. I did see him, Bhavya Shah.
7: My name is Bhavya Shah. I am a rising junior at Stanford, majoring in mathematical and computational science. I attended the Louisiana Center for the Blinds Immersion Training Program for a month last summer, and I'm getting several more months of training in this summer. So that is where I'm currently based And i'm happy to chat more or answer any specific questions folks have about the training the philosophy the classes and anything else
1: yeah let me just throw out a question before we open it up again um so the the next question is does your center have any requirements for students to graduate and what we'll start off with uh you can go
7: sure so i will note that i am just a student here so any information that i share does not officially reflect anything of the center, any policies, curriculum, or otherwise. I will simply be sharing based on my understanding and what I've seen other students do and experience. So in particular on graduation requirements, my understanding is that some of this is flexible and can be individualized to a particular student. But as a whole, typically students have several classes in which they need to each complete requirements. So in case of home management, there are a number of cleaning related activities that you need to demonstrate the ability to successfully and independently do brooming, sweeping, ironing, just a few of those in terms of cooking, which is the second component of home management. You have a meal for eight and then you have a meal for the entire center. So this is you yourself buying ingredients, planning the recipes, and preparing the meal for um, typically 30 or 40 students and staff members at the center. In case of cane travel, the monster endings are the drop routes, wherein in any part of the city you will be driven and dropped off without any instructor supervision. And you're expected to use the cane travel skills, the knowledge of the city, and just improved orientation and mobility to find your way back on foot without seeking information, let alone assistance from any passers-by on the way back to the center. Um, Some students also do out-of-town trips, wherein they get to pick a random city, wherein they get to just go around solo and experience life as a blind traveler. Similarly, you have industrial art, wherein there are a number of projects that you need to get through using machines like the drill press, hand press, radial arm saw, chain arm saw, where you cut wood, you build blocks, you insert indentations, and just improve your confidence in handling equipment that is sometimes considered too dangerous, quote unquote, for the blind. Then you have Braille and you have seminar. And just across the board, there is a sense of setting slightly higher standards than usual and trying to simulate real world experience and setting graduation requirements to match the complexity and difficulty of real world scenarios.
1: All right, Dina, um, can go ahead and answer the question.
2: Sorry. Um, can you just repeat the question?
1: Yeah. The question was, is, uh, does your center have any requirements for students to graduate? And if they do, what are they?
2: Um, we do not have um, strict requirements. We cover um, the same areas of um, skill development in terms of personal care, daily living um, management, household. We do write a report that um, reports on what skills were attained and if there are additional skills that need to be covered. Um, we are a little more individualized in that way. Um, for example, we don't require people to prepare a meal for eight people. We encourage people to cook and share meals and prepare um, a, a lunch or or um, a meal for a group of people. But, you know, we, we get people who come and say, I live alone i don't entertain you know or i live in an assisted living facility where my meals are provided so again we want to make sure they can do the things they need to do on a daily basis and they can do them independently
1: right right all right a quick a quick other question what what method does your center use so um like what's that how do they teach a student i'll start again with you Bavia um does does the Louisiana Center use a specific, specific method or style of teaching um, in Cain and o and M class or in cooking or any other class?
7: So the way this is typically described is not as a method, but more as a philosophical approach underpinning the specific methods and techniques. It's called the structured discovery model. What that means beyond all of the buzzwords is essentially somewhere on the continuum between guided learning and discovery learning. So guided learning is typically how instruction takes place, wherein the teacher teaches you what to do, and then you as a student have to do that and that is how knowledge is generated. Discovery learning is wherein the student independently has to go out and do stuff and create knowledge for themselves. Structured discovery hybridizes these two in a way in that, let's take the specific example just for sake of illustration of kin travel. There is instructor supervision and direct teaching in terms of what cane technique looks like, open palm, pencil grip, and teaching street crossings, and the instructor ensuring the student's safety. But progressively, the responsibility is increasingly distributed between the instructor and the student to the point that eventually students are expected to use the skills and techniques and feedback that they have received to go on independent routes, do travel assignments solo without the monitoring or supervision of a cane travel instructor. So what that often means is that in the structured discovery model, students are encouraged to take healthy risks And to use their skills and techniques with the belief that the non-visual skills are as reliable and effective as, say, supervision or sighted techniques. So that is a brief dabble into structured discovery. And that is what underpins the teaching and instruction across all classes at the Louisiana Center for the Blind.
1: All right, Dina, uh, do you want to explain if, if I don't Yeah. So
2: our is our this our instructors in different disciplines um, develop and follow a curriculum of instruction that's consistently being evaluated and updated. Um, all our instructors um, who are managing or lead instructors are certified professionally, um, have master's degree in the field of blindness. So there, as mobility instructors, are following the training and the um, outlines that they have been um, taught. Um, that's not to say that we don't, you know, all training is either hands-on or direct, but also projects are given. So um, as, the, as he gave the example, uh, we would do for more advanced students, we would give them routes to take and might, the instructor might meet them at the end of the route um, to see how they did. Um, So they would develop by direct instruction and then sort of shadowing the person and then meeting them at locations um, that they're going to. So, um, And the same thing for other skill where it's more hands on, direct, and then sort of fading away um, for people to demonstrate skills and develop the confidence to do it independently.
1: All right. So we'll open it up. Thanks, guys, for those two quick and good uh, answers to this question. We'll open it up again. Um, for the audience.
4: Ed, you may unmute.
1: Um, this question may have been asked and answered before. I just came in late, so I didn't hear it. Um, with the growth of the women's movement,
3: um, the the um, Me Too movement, excuse me, uh, my question is,
0: um, what efforts have these centers taken recently, or maybe not so recently, to discourage Unwanted or inappropriate
3: uh, sexual contacts between students and train- trainers. Yeah, so I'm
2: not, go. I'm not, well, I guess I just go back to we had previously talked about how our staff are provided with instruction as part of their onboarding and harassment and sexual harassment and appropriate methods to um, provide hands-on instruction to clients in terms of getting permission, et cetera. Um, And then we're also asking all our clients to abide by a list of rules um, in conduct when they're at the Carroll Center by signing a conduct code form. um, And we have no tolerance um, for any type of harassment, bullying, or inappropriate activity um, towards any individual, no matter what your sex, um, you know, we, we we're in a, in a, um, time now where, um, sexual orientation, um, is, um, sort of open. So, um, you know, we want to be respectful of everybody who comes to the program and, and what they want to be referred to. And we would expect everybody attending the program to participate and follow that as well.
1: Bavia, do you want to answer the question if you have?
7: Sure. So again, I would reiterate that I'm not an official representative. So what I'm sharing is just what I have observed in terms of policies and procedures that I am aware of. I know that... In a client's onboarding process, the intake paperwork, there is a dedicated sexual harassment policy about which students are informed of and need to abide by. Um, we have a seminar class every week. And as part of that, I have seen on occasions consent training be the subject of discussion. So having professionals from, for instance, RAIN conduct consent training so that all students and staff are aware of how to be an upstander as opposed to bystander and how to be respectful and set boundaries and other such topics. Um, there are grievance and redressal mechanisms. So for instance, there is a weekly staff advisor meeting. So you are matched with a specific staff member with whom you have just time blocked out in your weekly schedule to speak about anything which may serve as opportunities for students to air concerns. And the director sometimes has office hours wherein she is able to let students in. And that also perhaps serves as an additional opportunity for students to raise any issues that they may see.
1: All right, yeah. And before we move on to the next question, I just wanna add, uh, the, I know the ACB is doing their part in ensuring uh that all centers um play their part in, in ensuring the safety of their of students slash clients, whatever you want to call them when they attend these centers. So good job to the ACB, keeping everybody in check. Um so yeah, good job, ACB. Um yeah, can we move on to the next question? Okay, phone number of the area
4: code 1518, ending in 517 you
5: may speak
3: now this is Mary Beth, and I, I have a question um which may be a little harder for the um uh the nfb um uh, person to answer sorry i forgot your name um but um but i actually do have an additional question because of the last question for the f- specifically for you my question um is re- regarding pre-employment background checks um uh Do you conduct pre-employment background checks in in, um, hiring employees and and if so, what kind? And for the person um, who who is a student at the Louisiana Center, um, mentioning that the meetings with with, um, staff each week, is it always the same staff person or is it a different one? Thanks very much.
7: I can jump in and address the bit that was for me. Um, Of course, I'm not able to answer the other question. I just don't have the information for that. But in terms of the weekly staff advisor meeting, you have the same staff member to meet with every week. I think the thought process behind that is to just build a relationship and have this one point of contact. Of course, there is... um, other management so admin folks the director the administrative manager whom you're always able to reach out to with any general concerns but this is just an opportunity to have a consistent relationship form over the several weeks and months of your training with one staff member
3: okay thanks and what about the carol center
2: um so I, I just want clarification. Are you asking about our employees? All our employees have to be quarry checked. Is that was that yes? The I was, I was, okay. Yeah. yeah when you hire to be, an employee. Do you do background check checks? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're required to do that by law. Um, and and actually, um, people who are clients who are going mm-hmm. to work sites are also required to participate in whatever that employer requires. which them. Most of them require quarry checks as well. Um, and sorry, what was the other half of the question?
3: Um, actually, no. the The other one was okay. actually that the other one was specifically about that meeting with staff person every week that um, at the, at the center. And what? Are, I'm sorry. What was the name of the check that you do? What is involved in it?
2: Can you just give me a quick rundown? It's called a Corey check. It's a criminal record background check. Um, it's state oh, specific, okay. um, so it's a the individual has to fill out and sign a form, and it goes to the state, and they do a background check on the individual to see if they've had any mm-hmm. arrests um, or um, illegal activity, and that then is shared with the employer. Thank
3: you. Raymond,
4: you have permission to talk. Go ahead.
0: Uh, good, good afternoon. Uh, I'm glad for this uh, seminar. Uh, yeah, my name is Reverend Ray Rays. I was a uh, national field rep for CNI Guide Dog School. And I, I, I didn't have the pleasure to visit uh, Carl Center, which I wish I had. But I did uh, get to visit Louisiana I stayed; for, They hosted me for a week, so I stayed there for a whole week. It acted with, with the whole situation. I also went to Minnesota. I also went to Minnesota uh, NFB um, Center, and I stayed there for a whole week. And I also got to go to Colorado Center for the Blind NFB, which was a wonderful experience. And I went to uh, Arkansas just for a day. But what I did for CNI, I came to um, do presentations on guide dogs. And one of the things I have really noticed, and I recommend whenever I give presentation, I don't care how old a blind person is, if they can go to one of the centers, I have seen just in a week when a person, a blind person came to the center, they almost became a new person. Uh, the independence that i seen all of a sudden that a, p- a blind person was able to require the kind of confidence, the independence of getting around, moving there. One of the sad things is this code of conduct. One of the things that I noticed, the social interaction of people that was blind and, you know, unfortunately going in, Unfortunately, now the prohibited that they could go into each other's uh, uh, rooms, and they would, you know, one person would cook for the for that day for all the people, uh, all the other blind uh, residents, and all. So I'm sad to hear uh, situation is called sexually misconduct and all that. That sort of cut that out, but and and Penny, I think she was on an accident about um, being forced to in Maryland or D.C. They have sort of steered us towards a NFB uh, center, one of the three NFB centers, uh, because those people uh, in certain positions to be able to do that. And the other thing about the NFB centers that I didn't particularly care for is that they hold a NFB chapter meeting that you almost have to go to. But I would really encourage uh, persons to uh, like I say, if you are an adult and you have the opportunity to go to one of these centers for nine months or six months or four months, or even for me, myself, uh, you know, it helped me and, and uh, to become more independent. But I just want to ask, what the Carl Center, uh, in terms of the residency, uh, do people from out of town other than in Massachusetts, Are there a percentage, a large percentage of those from out of Massachusetts that come come to your center? And thank you. So,
2: right now, um, post COVID, um, our percentage of Massachusetts clients is much higher um, than it has been pre COVID. I think um, just because of the nature of people still um, concerned about traveling and um, COVID. Um, Pre-COVID, we were probably about 60% Massachusetts census and then other states. Of course, the Northeast states, including New York, represent the highest percentage. But we, we have um, clients who come from Oklahoma. Right now, we have clients from Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. Um, I've had clients from Arkansas, California. Um, our user testing program, which is remote, had a student from Texas, participate state-funded. Um, I have a student coming from Missouri that's state-funded. Um, in addition to the other states I just mentioned, I have a student coming this summer from Florida. Um, so it just it just depends on the individual. Um, we have lots of concerns at the Carroll Center about states that only send clients and don't really give the full client um, consumer choice, which is, again, a federal requirement that they have to at least tell the client about the different options of different programs. And we are approved vendors in many states. I won't say all states, but many states. Um, but I know it is a little harder if you have a, a program in your state. Um, you know, we, just as we would rather see Massachusetts people come to the Carroll center than go out of state. I can see that mm-hmm. if you're running a program in a state, you want your state consumers. Um, but if you don't have a state a program in your state, um, absolutely seeking out and being educated about the right, fit for you is important. And here, here, Raymond, I totally agree. I think all of us would, who are run programs agree that um, if you have the opportunity, um, the benefit of going to a residential program um, is significant in developing skills, whatever that program is.
0: And one, just uh, last, one last thing. I want to thank you, Massachusetts, for uh, producing Charlie Crawford. Uh, 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 he last, uh, well, I followed him after being the Capitano Guide Dog President in D.C. here. But just before he died, me and him started last year, uh, before he died in April, we started a uh, radio show called uh, Cag Do About Your Dog and You, and he was the co host and I yeah. thank y'all uh, for I learned so much from Charlie. Thank you. Yeah, he was a
2: great friend. Um, I also just want to comment that we, one of the pro service uh, classes we have at the Carroll Center is called Resource Seminar, where we bring in um, individuals to share with our clients about different resources, like guide dogs. We have guide dog schools who come and present at the Carroll Center. We bring in, you know, library from Perkins um, Library. Um, come in and present, but also disability groups, ADA groups. So we really want to expose our clientele to what other resources there might be available in their community that they can um, connect with or engage with. All
1: right. Well, thanks for that. I just want to add uh, to what Ray was saying. Yeah, these centers are really life-changing for people that go to them. I remember uh, Yasi, he's from Texas. He also used to live in Massachusetts. So I don't know if you know him. Dina, um, but I, he, he went, he, I think he was like failing most of his classes or just passing in community college with C's and he went to the LCB um, and now he actually goes to Harvard Law so that's pretty crazy, <laughs> wow. I know that's, it's like super life-changing, like no matter mm-hmm. what center, not just NFB centers, mm-hmm. but I mean, Carroll Center, the deaf blind mm-hmm. one, the Carroll Center, so definitely agree with yeah. you, life-changing and uh, I mean, if you don't like what these counselors are doing and recommending NFB centers, they're nothing Stopping the ACB from starting up their own center and and giving putting their hand in and starting their own center and mm-hmm. helping people gain their independence. So, I mean, I just want to add that. Uh, I guess just the last question, th- does your center have any class um, helping people adjust to their blindness or Adjusting to Blindness class, basically, and there's a different name for it. I've heard it called Adjustment to Blindness Philosophy class, seminar class, basically helping people adjust their blindness or get over their blindness. And we'll start off with uh, Babian and then Dina.
7: So the emotional adjustment to blindness is, of course, a part of the overall training holistically. So that is part of every conversation you have when Students who have residual vision put on sleep shades and are encouraged to trust the efficacy and safety and power of non-visual skills. Whether it is when you are being taught by instructors who are all fully blind themselves, or if sighted, then they are wearing sleep shades often while teaching. Um, Whether it be just in interactions with peers, in particular at LCB, they have a dedicated class two days a week, um, which is called seminar. Essentially, other than discussing resources and sometimes training about specific topics, I mentioned consent training earlier, these classes serve as an opportunity for students to reflect on their attitudes and outlooks towards their blindness, because it is, of course, a part of everyone's identity. So these just serve as a couple hours every week to specifically sit down and discuss and debate and share viewpoints and cultivate your own individual philosophies about blindness as an identity.
2: And very similar to the Carroll Center, we have a social worker on campus Um, who meets with individuals um, um, to do case management and counseling. Uh, The director of the rehabilitation program, Jennifer Hironish, is a therapist herself. Um, And we also have group counseling, um, something called People Talk, but um, it's conversations about um, adjustment to blindness, the emotional process, but also being supported by your family and um, regaining your role within your family or changing your role within your family. Um, So we do family um, events as well to support that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love uh, blindness philosophy class. I love going toe-to-toe with with the instructors uh, related to blindness philosophy. What should we do as a blind person? What we can do? What society should do?
2: Um, Erin, I just um, have a comment. Um, Will our contact, like my contact, be shared with the attendees?
1: Yeah, we'll share share it. I know
2: some people wanted to connect directly,
1: so thank you.
2: Would
4: okay. you like
1: to say it now on on it Yeah, or? you can say it now, Dina.
2: Sure. Can... Um, yeah, it's Dina D I N A dot Rosenbaum, Rosenbaum at Carol C A R R O L L dot org.
1: And uh, Babia, do you know? Do you got any information to reach out to any of the NFP centers?
7: I don't have that off the top of my head, but I'm sure you could gather that and send that later.
1: Yeah, and, and I would just encourage people to go to nfb.org. It shouldn't be hard to find. They love their training center, so it shouldn't be hard to find them. And I think I think we'll wrap it up there, just to not go over time. So if you have any questions, guys, you can email me, and I can pass it along to whoever it is you want me to pass it along to, to Dina or Bobia um, or the Carol Center, um, the Helen Keller Center person. Um, so yeah, thank you all for coming uh, once again. Um, Rehabilitation uh, is a big passion of the ACB students. I'm the president, Aaron Espinosa. Uh, adjustment to blindness is a big passion of ours. So yeah, thank you everybody. And we wanted to get all the signed. We wanted to get all the different training centers, whether they're NFB, the Care Center, or the Helen Keller Center. Um, we wanted to get, we wanted to, to let the consumer make the choice on where they wanted to go. All right, thank you everybody for coming. Hope thank to see you. you
2: all. Thank you for including us. Thank
3: you.